Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Michelin tires. Go to TireRack.com sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome in Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. And let's go ahead and tell you as well, Duralast batteries proven tough and designed to stand up to even the most extreme weather conditions with patented technology to deliver the most power during startup, get in the zone, auto zone. Well, the Cavs are in the zone. Remember how I said, well, maybe maybe the Cavs are questionable. Maybe they aren't very good. I didn't even think, even think in the first series against the Indiana Pacers, which they won in four games, but won by 16 points and could have could have really lost three of those four games, even though they won them all. And the one game that they won, they were down 25 points at the half in the one game that they won and substantially covered against the line. They went one and three against the spread in their first four games. This series is over against the Raptors. Wrap it up. Throw it on the, throw it on the, the, the dustbin of history. This series is done. The Raptors came in thinking, oh, you know, we had the same record as the Cavs in the regular season. We got past the Bucks in the first round. We're ready to prove that we're an elite level team. And then they've run into LeBron James and the Cavs, and LeBron James has dominated them to such extent that the biggest controversy so far from this series has been LeBron picking up a lady's beer and then getting upset at the company for trying to use his image associated with the brand. I mean, it has been... Nothing short of disaster for the Toronto Raptors. And luckily last night for the NBA, the Spurs came back and took care of the Rockets and at least gave some semblance of an idea 
that there might be, and I say might be, a series that actually has some suspense in the final four series here of the NBA, in the conference semifinals. We'll see whether or not that can change a little bit, whether the Wizards can get the win tonight, whether it's not going to happen. I was going to say whether the Jazz can beat the Warriors, but the Warriors are 13-point favorites tonight. You would know as well as I do that even if the Jazz beat the Warriors, it's still going to be a five-game series. I mean, the Jazz against the Warriors is pretty much already over. Assume the Warriors are going to win tonight. That series is over. Again, the Cavs are advancing. The Raptors series is over. And the only series that potentially could be entertaining, I think, in terms of going seven games or maybe even six games is right now the Rockets against the Spurs. We go back to Houston now, tied up at one game each. The rest of the games are not going to be very interesting, I don't believe. And again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the Raptors are going to come back and win two games. I'd be shocked by it. Maybe the Wizards are going to come back and win two games. That's perhaps more believable. Certainly, nobody is really going to give the Warriors a run. I don't even think, especially if the Spurs advance. Like, I don't think the Spurs can hang with them. I don't think the Rockets can either. I think it's possible. I don't think it's likely because I think the Warriors are just going to get bored at some point and lose a game because the teams they're playing against are pretty good. I think it's possible that the Warriors go 4-0, 4-0, 4-0 to roll into the championship, the finals in the NBA against the Cavs. And then I think they'll win that one in four in five or six games. Again, I think the Warriors could go, whatever the math on that is, sixteen and two or better in the NBA playoffs this year. That's how dominant I think they are. They might lose a game to the Jazz. I don't really think they will. I think they'll be up I think they'll win their sixth straight. Then I think they'll go on the road at, at least in Utah. Maybe they'll lose one of those games just because they don't bring their you know, killer instinct because I think they're watching it and saying, you know what, we're not going to lose this series. I think it's possible they go 4-0, 4-0, to reach the finals in the NBA. They look rested. They look comfortable. They do not look like a team that is at all stressed with the playoff situation. So we'll see what happens tonight, but they're 13-point favorites. For the NBA, luckily, the Rockets did not win on the road against the Spurs because then you would have had four, all four series potentially not with any suspense at all. And I don't even know if we're going to see any suspense at all until the NBA Finals between, it looks like, the Cavs and the Warriors. And I really do think still that the Warriors are going to run roughshod over the Cavs regardless. We'll bring in the crew. Crew we found out yesterday, which is filled with so many achievements. He starred in Damn Yankees. He was a wrestling announcer. Do you believe, Jason Martin, that there is any at all suspense in the NBA outside of Spurs Rockets? Are you with me that the other three series are basically a foregone conclusion? Absolutely. And I'm not sure about drama in the fourth one either, especially if Tony Parker is done. Yeah, what do we think is going to happen with Tony Parker? The latest news, like I'm scrolling through early this morning trying to check and see, and obviously it's it's just after 6 a.m. on the East Coast, only just after 5 a.m. in San Antonio. Hello to San Antonio, everybody watching down there, uh, listening down there this morning. Obviously, that's an incredibly serious situation uh, for uh, for the, the Spurs' chances in this series. What do we think, and what's the latest? He got carted off, basically. I mean, that's never 
ideal. And uh, you would think it would be hard for him to turn around given the fact that he was carried off and play in the next game. But obviously that would uh, severely hamper the Spurs' chances in this series. Yeah, anytime Greg Popovich, who notoriously says nothing, is says it's not good, unquote, that's not generally a good sign. And Tony Parker has played pretty well throughout the postseason overall. So much of what the Spurs do in terms of ball movement comes from him penetrating and kicking out. There's nobody else that has the leadership or the playoff experience that he does on that team other than Manu, who just is nothing at this point in his career. And, of course, Pau Gasol kind of in the same way. They're still getting nothing from LaMarcus Aldridge, which just has been stunning to me. He has not given them anything since coming back from that injury. But if Tony Parker is out, I don't think this is a series at all. I think six would be a gift. Uh, without Tony Parker, I could easily see the Rockets winning three in a row. Kawhi Leonard has enough pride that maybe he doesn't allow that to happen, but he's the guy that makes them go anyway, and he played great last night. He held James Harden down. Harden claimed he missed a bunch of layups, but James Harden was being just blanketed by defense from Kawhi Leonard. But the Spurs can't score enough, and you take Tony Parker's 18 away, you take his 20 away, I just don't think they have a prayer, quite frankly. And then in terms of the other series – there's just clearly one team that is a far better team than the other in all of those series, especially based on the matchups. I think the Wizards are a really good basketball team, but they don't play good defense and they can't stay in front of Isaiah Thomas. That's a major problem. The Raptors really have one star. Kyle Lowry is too inconsistent for me. DeMar DeRozan last night, and he is their star, gives them all of five points. That's not going to get it done. And Utah Jazz, as much as you like a lot of their pieces – Gobert, uh, Hay- Hayward, if they're able to keep him. Maybe there's something for the future there, but they they have nothing for the Warriors right now. I agree. I think they may absolutely sweep that series. So, yes, we, we're in a situation where the NBA is trying to find storylines because the games themselves aren't providing much in the way of either drama or talking points. Danny G and Justin, will any of either of you go in on one of these four series actually having some suspense? Because I think Jason's right about that Tony Parker injury. If it's as severe as it looked like, and we don't know how long-lasting it could be, but I think it's fair to say that there's a very good chance that he does not play in the rest of this series. Now, maybe he's going to have a miraculous recovery. Maybe it's not as severe as we think. But if that happens, then their ability to score goes down even more. Uh, the, so far, the Rockets have not lost a home game in the uh, in the playoffs. We'll see whether or not they can go back and, uh, and and hold home court. But if they do, and they come back to San Antonio up three one, that series kind of over. Um, and by the way, there's only one series I believe in the uh, in the NHL either that looks like it's going to be a series. The Preds are uh, look good to advance. The Penguins look good. To advance, um, I, I think the Edmonton series is tied up at. And look at me, expert on hockey here. I think Stunned. the Edmonton series is tied. Yeah, is tied up at two games uh, apiece. Otherwise, there isn't uh, much suspense in the NHL either for all of these playoff games that are going on. We bring in Danny G, who made Eminem famous. Danny G, are you sold on any of these playoff series in the NBA actually having any suspense at all, or do you think? We're basically set on the four teams that are going to advance. No, so predictable so far, even to the point where when we were talking about the Spurs getting blown out in that first game, remember our conversation was, well, pretty sure they're going to bounce back in the second game. So both series were so predictable yesterday, I wound up watching baseball. Which baseball game? 
Dodgers, Giants. Good old Dodgers. All right, uh, Justin, child star Justin Cooper st- starred as Liar Liar alongside Jim Carrey as the kid. Starred as a kid who was heartbroken over his horse ragtime, mini horse ragtime being so- being stole. <laughs> ragtime, the mini horse which could actually talk, which nobody realized when they were making the movie he could talk. <laughs> there you go. Uh, do you believe there's any suspense in the NBA playoffs? This may just be my fandom talking, but I, I don't think we've seen the end of the Wizards. I, I expect them to make a series of it. All right, False. so they're favored by around five points tonight. So if they could bounce back and win both the games, obviously they have to win both the games in D.C. to avoid going back to Boston down 3-1. They have to win both. If they win tonight to make it 2-1, maybe they can bounce back. Maybe that series ends up being one that has some suspense that we can root on a game six or a game seven. Uh, we will see. Uh, obviously, the Celtics tonight have their opportunity to put the series away effectively, and maybe they're not going to bring out their uh, their A game, but the Wizards at home in D.C. with a chance to try to serve notice that they are not going to go quietly into the good night. And to be fair, the Wizards did have a chance, a really good chance, to win game two in Boston, but they gave up 53 points and ended up losing by 10 in overtime. So are there any of you out there listening right now that believe these are series? I'm not sure. What I want to do in the next segment, kind of give you a roadmap here for where we're going in today's show. Uh, First of all, I'm Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage. Thanks for spending your Thursday with us as you start your day. In hour two, we talk to John Paul Morosi, who we talk to every single week, try to get you at least somewhat of an idea what's going on in baseball. We'll talk about the mess between the Red Sox and the Orioles and everything that has spiraled out of that series as it has kind of uh, turned into a uh, total war between what's acceptable and unacceptable in the unwritten rules of baseball. We'll talk about that in Hour 2. In Hour 3, we've got John McClain. Love to have him on. He writes at the Houston Chronicle the situation with the Houston Texans as they draft Deshaun Watson. What does that mean for their future? When we come back out of this next break... Our guys at Odd Shark have put these out. It's the first time I've seen them. The NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year odds are out. The draft, obviously, just taking place this past weekend. One favorite pretty substantially. I'll run through that list and see who the crew would take, what bets we would make. There are, let's see, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten guys all in the mix here. The ten guys who are most likely to win the Offensive Rookie of the Year, according to oddshark.com with those odds. I will run through those. But in the meantime, I also, in this hour, want to have an interesting discussion with you about the topic we talked about a little bit yesterday when Nick Saban got an $11 million salary. And we'll go back into coaching salaries a little bit because I think we left a couple of the big salaries on the table yesterday and we ended up going in different directions in the show. I never circled back around on this topic But I do want to have a discussion about why I think Nick Saban is worth the money that he's worth and also take the next step and try to advance the conversation on paying players because you hear a lot of people have a debate about paying players. Should college players players be paid? And you'll hear people say, yes, they should be paid. You'll hear people say, no, they shouldn't be paid, and they'll argue back and forth. But I don't think that conversation ever gets to the complexities that are actually involved and analyzes it in a smart way. People always come after OutKick and they say, oh, Clay Travis, he's a clickbait artist. Oh, Clay Travis. I think regular listeners of the show recognize something. That is, we tend to discuss issues 
in greater depth on this show and with more complexity and with more intelligence than just about anybody in sports media. So what we want to do on this show is try to make you smarter. Sometimes we also want to make you laugh. Again, the goal is SOFA, smart, original, funny, and authentic. And I think we manage that just about every day. I want to talk about that in a way that is deeper than just the basic argument that you see all the time in sports. Should you pay players? Yes or no. Even the articles that are written about it. Nobody really talks about this in an intelligent fashion. I'm going to try to talk about it in an intelligent fashion. That's all coming up. I am Clay Travis. You're listening to Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios, what does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to geico.com 15 minutes ago. I believe it was on Tuesday, news came out about Nick Saban's contract extension of $65 million. Included in that contract extension was a $4 million signing bonus, which means that Nick Saban will make over $11 million coaching college football this year. Uh, we went into the overall history of who makes what as a college football coach, as an NFL coach, as a coach in general. We believe the three highest paid coaches right now on year-to-year salaries are Greg Popovich, who makes $11 million a year, Doc Rivers, which, God, talk about an overpaid guy, makes $10 million a year to coach the Clippers, and Jim Harbaugh makes around $9 million a year to coach Michigan. Nick Saban in particular is worth a lot more money than he's making. I think you could argue that Nick Saban is worth $20 million. And that's because I believe Nick Saban is so good at what he does that if he left Alabama and coached it the next eight years at Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, Auburn, Texas A&M, LSU, all of those schools for sure in the SEC – And I would also add Clemson, Florida State, probably Miami. Could also continue to other places. I think he could probably do it at Louisville. I think he could certainly do it at SC. All these different schools, Oklahoma, Texas, without a doubt. If Nick Saban went to coach there for the next eight years, I think he would win two national championships there. So really what you're asking is what is what are multiple national championships worth to major college football programs like all the ones I just ran through. I feel like Nick Saban, if he went there for the next eight years, at all those places could win two national championships. And I have argued before that if the SEC schools really wanted to be smart, what they should do is all band together and pay Nick Saban $4 million each to leave the conference because that's $4 million better spent than anything they could do to try to beat Nick Saban. Think about that. If the other 13 SEC schools all banded together and all 13 of them gave $4 million to Nick Saban, it would be an unprecedented move. But I believe, is that am I right on this, that it would be $52 million? If you gave Nick Saban a lump sum payment, of $52 million, would he leave the SEC and never coach college football again and go to the NFL? Because I think that's a better expense than anything else those schools could do. And in a funny way, all the other schools continue to spend. I, I went off on this on my show on the on Outkick the Show, the show that I do on Periscope and Facebook Live. When I went up to visit the University of Tennessee a couple of years ago, they made a really big deal about their juice bar that was right beside the weight room. And... You know, Butch Jones, obviously, is the coach at Tennessee, and they were like, well, we got a juice bar now right beside the weight room. I'm standing there beside the bench press. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of cool. Bench press here, right next door is the juice bar. And they're like, with this juice bar, 
it's going to make recruiting so much better. There's no stopping us now. And I was like, bitch, is that juice bar going to beat Nick Saban? I mean, that's what I'm thinking in my head. That's why I want to say from now on, anytime you hear somebody making a bad argument, just say, don't juice bar me, bro. Because I'm standing there and they're going on and on about this juice bar. And now you can bench press and come right over here to the juice bar. And kids are going to come visit the school and they're going to be like, oh, I want to go there. They got a juice bar. They got a waterfall in the recovery pool. I'm like, Nick Saban can beat y'all with a JV locker room. Because he's Nick Saban. You're not beating Nick Saban because you got a juice bar in Butch Jones. It's an awful, awful argument. But that's what everybody does now, right? That's what everybody does now. They all come out and argue that the juice bar is going to make a tremendous difference for them. And when you look at the impact that Nick Saban has had on Alabama, it extends far beyond on-the-field results. When Nick Saban came to Alabama in 2007, the University of Alabama was a university dominated by state students. That is, in-state students who went to the University of Alabama. You know that over half of all the students that go to the University of Alabama now are from out of state, paying over 20-some-odd thousand dollars a year to go to Alabama? And do you know how much of that is attributed by the school itself to the amount of attention that Nick Saban has gotten for the University of Alabama's football program? I want you to think about that. I mean, I don't think most people, even in the state of Alabama, are aware of this now. Alabama has become an elite academic institution for state universities in the time that Nick Saban has been there. And a lot of people say, oh, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Alabama's, nobody's smart in Alabama. Whatever. First of all, that's lazy. Secondly, the state of Alabama now is getting kids from all over the country to come to Tuscaloosa in large measure because of the influence that Nick Saban has had on that campus. He has been worth hundreds of millions of dollars a year in additional revenue. This undergrad student enrollment has basically doubled, I believe I'm correct in this, during the time that Nick Saban has been at Alabama. And it's also doubled while charging infinitely more for tuition. Again, that's a pretty big deal to go from a huge majority of the University of Alabama students being from the state of Alabama, going there and playing in-state tuition, to over half of the student body now at the University of Alabama being from outside Alabama, paying four and five times what the out of, what the in-state tuition rate is. Go walk around Alabama and look at all the buildings going up there. I mean, this is a success story of total connection between football and academics. Nick Saban has been the front porch of Alabama And as a result, the university has boomed unlike any university in the country over the last decade. It's not a coincidence that Alabama's football success has completely been connected at the hip with all of the university's success. I'm going to dive into some of these numbers when we come out of trending. But then I'm also going to spiral from this Nick Saban is worth probably $20 million a year. And I mean that honestly, because I would believe he would win two national championships in the next eight years at just about any major program that he went to. It's not just Alabama. It's not just the impact that he would have on the field. It's the impact that all the attention brings off the field. But then I'm going to move from that to the easy argument, which is people saying, oh, you got to pay the players and tell you why that doesn't make sense. But first, let's find out what's trending now. Here's a couple of stats I said I was going to hit you with, with Nick Saban and his impact on the university. We're not talking about the dominance the football program has had. In a little over 10 years, 
the University of Alabama has almost doubled its enrollment while also increasing the quality of the student body. This year, more than 40% of the nearly, this was in 2017, so we haven't seen numbers for, sorry, this was 2016, the start of 2016. We haven't seen this numbers for the start of 2017, obviously, because that class hasn't enrolled yet. This is pretty remarkable. This year, more than 40% of Alabama's nearly 8,000 freshmen scored a 30 or higher on the ACT, which places those students in the top 5% of the country. Again, a lot of people out there don't realize how good of an academic institution Alabama has become during Nick Saban's tenure there. Again, that's a pretty incredible stat. More than 40% of nearly 8,000 freshmen scored a 30 or higher on the ACT. And over the last 10 years, they have moved from a substantial number of people who are from in-state to now the majority of the student body coming from out of state. So they have increased the overall quality of the students substantially. Again, for over 40% scoring a 30 or better on the ACT. If you didn't take the ACT, a 30 or better is in the top 5% of scores. So 95th percentile of those students, and many of them coming from out of state and paying substantial amounts of money. What they've also been able to do is because of the increasing revenue at that school, the facilities have exploded, but they've been able to give a lot more merit scholarships to out-of-state kids who have these incredible test scores to bring in and raise the tide, no kidding, a rising tide inside the school. Okay, so University of Alabama, and by the way, we probably have some University of Alabama students listening right now. If you want to call in and talk about the impact Nick Saban has made on your university, 877-996-6369, and why he's worth every penny, do so. But I want to, spot, uh, to, to move now to an interesting angle on this and, and try to make you smarter about the pay or don't pay college athletes. When a lot of people see a head coach making $11 million a year, like Nick Saban or Jim Harbaugh making $9 million a year, they immediately say, why don't we pay the players? And my argument to you is that it's not that simple because first let's start with what do you mean by pay the players? What you're really arguing is something that I agree with, which is we should allow a market-based system to determine the value of anybody in a capitalistic society who wants to sell their labor. Effectively, these football players and, and men's basketball players are selling their labor to the university, which makes much more money off of their labor than it pays them for that. Okay, so let's start there. First of all, what you really need to do when you talk about paying players is recognize that the only two sports in all of every college, just about, that make money are men's football, obviously, and basketball, men's basketball. Every other sport that you see a university play loses money, sometimes as much as four or five million dollars. I saw the budget yesterday. Somebody tweeted it to me for LSU's entire athletic department. You know, LSU lost $4 million last year on women's basketball. Now, women's basketball gets a decent amount of attention. LSU has been decent before in women's basketball. They lost $4 million playing women's basketball at LSU last year. How can they afford to do that? Well, because they make tens of millions of dollars off football at LSU which funds basically the entire athletic department. Men's basketball makes some money, but by and large, even a place like Kentucky, where they love basketball more than any other state in the country, do you know that football makes more money for Kentucky than basketball does? Even as good as Kentucky is, as many banners as they hang in Rupp Arena, 
and as bad as they have been at football for so long, Kentucky football makes more money than Kentucky basketball. Pure business, okay? So what you need to do, first of all, is make a decision. There's a difference between men's basketball players and football players, right? These guys have a market-based value that's in excess of what they're receiving, which is a scholarship and a small cost of attendance stipend. So people say, oh, if Nick Saban's going to make $11 million a year, do you know what we should do? We should pay all the players, too, because that's where the value is. Okay, that's fine. But if you are going to pay the players, and maybe a lot of you sitting around out there right now have that argument. Maybe you've made that argument. It's not a bad argument. It's a markets-based argument. Here's the problem. Because of Title IX, which mandates equality in, in institutions of higher learning, you would have to pay whatever you give football players and men's basketball players the exact same amount of money to every single athlete on scholarship at the university. So let's use Alabama, for example. Alabama makes money on football, a ton of money, and they make money on men's basketball. I believe they lose money on every other sport. Now, they may have years where they blip up, And to be fair to women's athletics, there are some years where UConn and the University of Tennessee women have made money. Those are pretty much the only women's teams, I believe, in America that actually make money on their sport. Everybody else is running at a deficit. Okay, so if we believe that that's the case, that that's pretty much 100% the case at every university in the country, think about the impact Let's say, like a lot of people immediately said when they saw that Nick Saban $4 million extension, taking him to $11 million a year. Well, if you gave a, that $4 million to the 85 scholarship football players at Alabama, they'd all make around $40,000 for that. Okay. But if you did that, if you gave an extra $40,000 a year to men's football players at Alabama, you'd also have to give an extra $40,000 a year to women's softball players at Alabama who were on scholarship. You'd have to give the same amount of money to a women's track and field uh, member and to a men's soccer player. All of them would get $40,000 a year. Now, maybe, maybe Alabama, as one of the biggest athletic departments in the country, could afford to do that. Maybe they could make the books work. Maybe they could take some of the money that they spend on football out of all these facilities that they're spending on their juice bars and their waterfalls and all the penumbra of associated awesomeness other than paying the players, maybe they could do that. But the vast majority of athletic departments in the country are already losing money. So if you told them suddenly, let's say there's 300 kids on scholarship, well, that's going to be around $15 million a year in additional costs for every athletic department in the country. 90% of all colleges would go bankrupt and not be able to afford that. Maybe 95%. So really, the money isn't there to pay the players, again, because you have to pay everybody. Not just the athletes in football and men's basketball who have a value that exceeds what they make. You have to pay all the people who would never be receiving a scholarship but for the fact that that football and men's basketball are subsidizing their scholarship. In other words, there are tons of kids on every college campus, boy and girl, who are receiving scholarships because of the talents of the football team and the men's basketball team, because of the interest and money that their talent brings to the university. 
So when everybody out there is like, oh, what are these guys, what's the benefit of these guys doing? What you basically have on a college campus is socialism, athletic socialism. The quarterback may be worth $250,000 a year on an open market, but instead of that quarterback getting $250,000 a year, he gets a scholarship, and then any excess value that he's creating gets put into the athletic department, which goes to scholarships for other guys or girls who have athletic talents that otherwise wouldn't rise to the level of even receiving a scholarship. Does that make sense? Can everybody follow this? So you end up with a situation where, let's say, a female track star who otherwise would get no money at all because, let's be frank, just about no athletic department in the country is making money off track. She gets a full ride. He gets a full ride, whoever these track athletes are, because Jalen Hurts is really good at football. And instead of Jalen Hurts making that money, everybody else does at the university where they get scholarships as well. Again, it's athletic department socialism, treating everybody equally even though some people's talents are different. And that's anti-market. Now, I'm a markets-based guy, but the reason why this exists is because of Title IX, which requires that all male athletes be treated equally with female athletes. So the 85 scholarships that are go to football have to also then be spread across the university. So the universities all have the same number of men and women on athletic scholarships in the entire university. And if you are going to treat one athlete different who plays football and men's basketball, there isn't right now an opportunity to treat revenue-producing sports, and the only two revenue-producing sports that allow these athletic departments to exist are football and men's basketball. You have to treat those athletes, even though they have a substantial demand, the exact same as all the athletes who have no, no market value at all. So if you're going to pay players, you can't just pay the players that have value. You got to pay everybody. You got to pay that women's swimmer the same amount that you would the quarterback at Alabama. And only a tiny percentage of athletic departments in the country can afford to do that. Most of them are running at a deficit already. If you told them now, oh, you got to pay $40,000 a year to every football and basketball player, men's basketball player, the revenue-producing sports, you got to also do it for everybody else. They'd go bankrupt. I'm going to take your calls on this, 877-996-6369, trying to advance this conversation beyond just should you pay the athletes to what I think is the reality. You can't afford to pay the athletes at the vast majority of athletic departments in this country. You are listening to Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome in Fox Sports Radio Studios, brought to you by GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit GEICO.com for a free rate quote, as well as with TrueCar, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for. And on average, save over three grand off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. I'm going to get to your calls here in a minute. Always like to, uh, to read the Twitter mentions. Um, at Clay Travis is the Twitter feed. Got a couple of interesting suggestions. Um, a lot of questions about why can't you just let the players sell their individual likeness? You can do that. First of all, I don't know whether it would fit Title IX, but also then that just becomes basically boosters paying players to go to the schools. If they can sell their likeness, I'm just being honest, and I said this on my Outkick, the show yesterday, which you can watch on Periscope and Facebook Live, then I would immediately just go give $100,000 to the next five-star quarterback, direct him to the school that I want him to go to, 
have him wear OutKick shirts every day, have him come on with us weekly, have him write for my website, and effectively I'm paying him several hundred thousand dollars a year probably for the free marketing he gives me. And if I can do that, why can't Nike do it? Well, the answer is because the school's already selling its individual shoe deals. Well, why, if you're Under Armour, for instance, and you're at a Nike and a guy's at a Nike school, why wouldn't you pay him not to wear Nike cleats? You see how complicated that gets really quickly? It's basically just allowing an open season for players to be bought and sold, which creates an incredible issue, right? Because then you know, as well as I do, that a lot of players are getting money outside of the regulations already. But what you basically would be doing is allowing that. Then Joe's Barbecue Shack in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, can pay $300,000 to a five-star athlete and get them to go to Alabama. And then they can put up pictures of him all over the Barbecue Shack. And it's probably the best money they could ever spend. Right? I mean, and that's fine. But what you effectively get is pro sports then. Because you'd have players represented by agents who are auctioning off their signing ability to whichever sponsors would give them the most money. I mean, you'd have guys making a million dollars to play college football. I'm not even kidding about that. A top quarterback would easily be worth a million dollars. And how is that going to work when ostensibly these schools are all tax exempt? and exist as part of academic institutions. You know, tell a quarterback making a million dollars a year that he has to go to intro to English? Lit? I don't think that's working very well. Uh, I've got a ton of calls coming in, and we're going to try to get to you. If I don't get to you, you can sit through the uh, through the, the start of the hour, and I'll continue to talk about this. Because, again, I'm trying to make you smarter about paying players. Everybody gets in this argument and they say, oh, we should pay players. We shouldn't pay players. And nobody actually says, okay, what's the actual reality of the debate? Nobody elevates the conversation beyond basic talking points. See it everywhere. Television, pay players, don't pay players. Nobody says, well, okay, are you going to pay all athletes? Because that's what you would have to do under existing federal law. If you think that athletes should be paid to go to college and get scholarships, that that's not a fair enough compensation then what you're basically saying is every athlete needs to make whatever the number is, $40,000, $50,000, $100,000 a year, whatever you think they're worth, everybody has to get the same thing. Let's go to Gary in Florida. Gary, what's up? Clay, one of the proud uh, 15 percenters of the University of Alabama, uh, enrolled there in 03, saw five head coaches in five years. So, yes, Nick Saban's worth every penny you pay the guy. You had um, a rough time there I, to come in at 03, right man. before Saban arrived. And for those who don't know, the 15 percenters are my – that's my suggestion. These are the 15% of Alabama fans that are actually smart enough to get into Alabama or go to Alabama. Uh, Saban's worth every dollar, in your opinion, right? Every every dollar, absolutely. I mean, look at – I got in with the 22 on, that, on my SAT score. I mean, it's like I bought Apple stock in 1985. I You're mean, exactly my, right. My value of my degree is just through the roof, and it's all because – football, you know, football success. But the real question, I got one question for you, Clay. So Saban signed on for eight years. Is it possible that Alabama can have a 20-year win streak over the vaults? <laughs> oh, I'll hang up a to- to- total dagger from Gary in Florida. Ouch. Oh, Shots not only fired. Tennessee 20-year win streak, Nick Saban has not lost to the University of Tennessee since his hiring. You know what? 
if Saban coaches for eight more years, I'll be damned if I'm willing to bet on Butch Jones to beat him. Now, I will say this. If Butch Jones gets fired at Tennessee, there is going to be an absolute gold rush of teams trying to sign Chip Kelly. Tennessee's going to want him. Auburn potentially could want him. Texas A&M could want him. Arkansas could want him. Notre Dame might want him. Who knows what school is going to get him. If Tennessee gets Chip Kelly, they will beat Alabama at least once in the next eight years. That's how bold my prediction is. Going to go to your calls when we come back. I'm Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage. Trying to make you smarter talking about why you can't pay players unless you pay all players. Not just football players, not just men's basketball players. All of them have to be paid. I'm Clay Travis. You're listening to Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back. Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit GEICO.com for a free rate quote. As well as, uh, let's go ahead and say, for a limited time only at AutoZone, it's buy one, get one free on a pair of Duralast Max or Duralast Flex Blade Wipers. See store for details. Get in the zone. AutoZone. Here in the zone today on Outkick the Coverage, I'm trying to make you smarter. Sometimes try to make you laugh. Sometimes we try to make you uh, get entertained by the most absurd stories that we can find in the world of sports and beyond. Other days I see a story, I think it's being covered really poorly, and in particular I think it's how you decide in the debate whether or not you should pay players or not. Because that's a huge debate, right? Every time a new coach gets a new salary in college athletics, people come out and they say, oh, you got to pay football players and men's basketball players more money. Because they're making all this money for the NCAA tournament. Or they're making all this money off of the college football playoff. They're making all this money off of whatever that situation may be. The problem is nobody ever actually gets into the complexities here. And a basic complexity is this. Title IX requires that all scholarship athletes at a university be treated the exact same. So if you are going to give, let's say, a football player... $40,000 a year on top of their scholarship and their cost of living additions, then you would have to give $40,000 a year to a women's swimmer and a men's track athlete. That's despite the fact that those scholarships lose money. Those scholarship athletes in their sport, they lose money. I gave you an example. The LSU women's basketball team last year lost $4 million. How can they keep those girls on scholarship and continue to pay and play that sport despite losing $4 million? Because it's not an actual business. Actual businesses would cut women's basketball. They would look at the budget relative to the money they make, and they would say, screw this, we're not going to play women's basketball anymore because we're losing $4 million a year. If a business person were running a college athletic department, they would get all of the different budgets and all the different revenues. They would look at it and they would say, okay, other than football and men's basketball, we're not going to have any sports at this university because we're only going to focus on the sports where we're profitable and we're going to pour all our money into there and we're going to get even more profitable in those sports. That's what they would say. If a business person were running a college athletic department today, they would look at every sport they do, and just about every single one of them loses millions of dollars in total, except for football and men's basketball. And so they would kick all those sports to the curb and say, look, you're welcome to run track at LSU if you want to, but we're not going to pay you to do it. 
just like you're welcome to show up and join the college Democrats or the college Republicans as part of an extracurricular activity, we'll compete with other universities. We'll allow you to be a legitimate student athlete, but we're not going to pay you to do it. We're not going to give you a full ride to do it. It doesn't make sense from our business perspective. But that's not how universities are run. They have to give equal scholarships to men and women, even though men's scholarship athletes, by and large, are the only ones that produce any value for the university. So if you're saying, oh, every men's football player deserves $40,000, what you're also saying is, even though they're losing $4 million a year, every women's basketball player also deserves, in addition to the scholarship, which they don't deserve under an actual market-based system, they now deserve $40,000 more on top of that. That would bankrupt most university athletic departments. That's just the truth. I'm taking your calls because I think you might have some fascinating questions for me. Again, I'm Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Let's go to John in New York City. And by the way, as you hear somebody drop off, if you want to hop in, 877-996-6369. John in uh, New York City. What's up, John? Obviously, Title IX is the impediment. I mean, that is what but, – but the players are the commodity. They are the product. The NCA is the mon- monopoly. It's the old business model. I definitely think something will happen in the next 10 to 20 years where the players will stand up and say no more. Because they, they, if they don't play, there is no show. Basketball or football. And, and, and how, if, a, if a kid's 18 years old and he develops an app, he makes he he become a billionaire, okay? And how how can these guys who have an X value, okay, of what they can make for the university, and then receive no kind of uh, uh, equal sharing in their fruits of labor? Okay? Because here's the deal: I, they, I they aren't going. I understand your market based argument, but you're making a market based argument about a business that isn't a market based business. I, I understand because because you have a tax you also have a tax exempt business being a hundred percent university that's that's another okay, good so angle that's, that that's, I haven't even hit yeah yeah okay so so that's that's an issue I mean but it but it but it, how can this go on it's it's like CDs being twenty dollars or people paying two hundred dollar cable bills it's not going to go on it, the the NCA system is archaic it's going to be challenged something maybe you have forty schools that break off. And then say we're gonna we're gonna make it part of a, a pay for play system and not be part of the NCA. Thirty to forty schools. I'd love for you to have that whack job Christine Brennan on and go at it with her a little bit about how this should all work out. Because pointing out that LSU lost four million dollars last year on their women's basketball. Let that number ring, okay? Okay. So how can you go on like this? And then we're going to have the, the billion-dollar contract for the NCAA basketball tournament and let schools like Alabama or Texas making $100 million in supporting. It is socialism. And the, 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 I definitely think this will not go on. The, it's archaic, and the players will rise up, the players that make money. And if they have to come up with a different system and break off, and whatever they have to do, there is a problem, the fact that universities are tax-exempt, and the impediment of Title IX. So that maybe you have to start a new league or something, but I just don't see this going on forever. Thanks for the call. And I think a lot of people out there won't ever talk about this because they don't want to be considered politically incorrect. You guys who listen to this show know that I don't give a damn about that stuff. I tell you exactly what the facts are. 
And the facts are this. Nobody cares about women's athletics when it comes to college sports from a revenue-producing perspective. Other than UConn women and the University of Tennessee women's basketball, every female sports team in college athletics loses money. They are being subsidized by the success of football and men's basketball. That's the truth, period. All right? Now, there are people out there who say, as part of the university's overall obligation as a not-for-profit institution receiving federal dollars, everybody deserves to be treated equally in athletics. Effectively, what is required now is that a women's high diver has the same value on a college campus as a men's quarterback, right? That's not clearly the case. A male track athlete is not as valuable as the best point guard in college basketball. But that's the way they are sub that's the way they're compensated. And so if you decide that you're gonna pay men's basketball players and football players forty thousand dollars a year, let's say, then you would have to pay all every athlete. And if I, I keep using this LSU example because I saw it and I was like, man, that's crazy. If LSU women's basketball team lost four million dollars last year, you would need to add hundreds of thousands of dollars in additional losses because you would have to give them in addition to their scholarship. Every one of these women would also get a stipend for $40,000. Not justified in any way by a market-based system, but college athletics is not a market-based system. That's just, it's not. not. They're revenue-producing sports, and that is by and large football and men's basketball, and then they're revenue-losing sports. And if it were a business, again, this I don't think people talk about this enough. If it were a business and you were just running an athletic department entirely to profit and grow your business, you would look at all the profit losses and you would cut every sport in college athletics except for primarily men's basketball and football. Now, there could be some exceptions. Some really successful men's baseball teams might make some money. Some really successful, as I just mentioned, UConn women and the University of Tennessee women and women's basketball can make like a smidge of profit tiny couple hundred thousand dollar profit but by and large all the other all the other teams lose money you would cut them right if you were looking if you were a ceo and you saw that you were putting on a production called women's basketball at lsu and it was costing you four million dollars you'd be like we're out of this we're out of this business i'm not going to be in the business of losing four million dollars right if fox sports radio where i work had shows all day long, and some of them were insanely profitable, and some of them were not, what would they do? If we had a show that was losing $4 million a year, that show would be gone. Even if we got Cowherd's show out there making $15 million a year, or whatever the hell he's bringing in, it's a lot of money. (laughs) Colin Cowherd's really good at what he does. Then you would cut everybody else. It's a fascinating dynamic it really is let's go to do we still have uh, aj in cincinnati here yes sir aj and cincy what's up clay how's it going i just want to thank you for bringing some common sense to the morning sports radio talk i really appreciate it um what i wanted to you kind of already touched on it is having to pay everybody well it's well it might sound unfair jalen hurts is worth more money than a center fielder on the alabama baseball team but you got to pay him the same it just doesn't make sense. Uh, something I said to, to Jason was, I just got married this past summer, 
And I went to, you know, the, the university that I went to, I went to their music department, got a kid who's still in school, paid him a couple hundred bucks, and, you know, he played the, played the piano at the wedding. He's able to make some money, but these other guys can't make money outside of their sports. I think it's just uh, kind of a sham for them. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, AJ, I appreciate that. The analogy I like to apply here is this. I think improper benefits is total crap. All right? It's anti-capitalistic. That's everything the NCAA does. Think about the the business of the NCAA when it comes to, quote-unquote, improper benefits. They're in the business of making sure poor people remain poor despite the fact that they're making millions for other people. I don't know how NCAA investigators go to sleep at night. Personally. You talk about moral issues. Think about what a crazy perspective that is in a capitalistic country. you got people out there investigating to make sure that if you were dirt poor when you got to a university, that you stay dirt poor the entire time you're at that university. I mean, that's the most indefensible job, I think, in all of sports. Think about that. You got nothing. You're sitting around hungry all day. You got money barely enough to even go out and go see a movie. You got crappy clothes. You got no car. And you're the best running back at a major university. And there's some knucklehead walking around trying to make sure that you're not getting extra money for your talent, that a poor kid's got to stay poor despite his talents. It drives me insane. And the analogy I like to use is this. Let's pretend, let's pretend you're a poor kid at college right now, and you got a scholarship. But as part of that scholarship, you barely have enough money to really have a life outside of that scholarship. Probably a lot of you listening right now maybe have been poor in college. Or maybe you're a poor college kid right now. And then let's say you're a chemistry major. And as part of that chemistry scholarship, you don't have hardly any money outside of that. But you make a friend in the chemistry department, this professor who's been there for 30 years. He thinks that you're brilliant and that if you can stay in school, you're going to get a great job when you graduate. You might go on and create unbelievable future earnings for a company you might found your own company but right now you're 20 years old you're poor as hell summer's coming up and you don't know how you're going to be able to make enough money if that guy in the chemistry department had you come over to his house and he said you know what i got a bunch of brush in the backyard i had a tree fall down can you help clean up that brush and also can you mulch my yard and can you cut the grass on a Saturday, you spend all day working there. Let's say you spend seven day, seven hours there working. And at the end of that seven hours, he said, man, thank you so much for this work. Here's 500 bucks. You've done seven hours of work. He's paying you whatever it is, 75 or $80 an hour, way more than you would ever deserve. And then all throughout that year, he lets you come over and he gives you a couple hundred bucks here and there to continue to work. That allows you to have money to make it through college on top of just your scholarship. You know what you would call that? You would call that guy a saint for the rest of your life. You might even be willing, once you got married, had a real job, and had a kid, you might even be willing to name your kid after that chemistry professor who helped you get through college when you were smart but you had no money. You might be willing to do that, right? You know what the NCAA would call that? An improper benefit. 
if that isn't the perfect example of how broken NCAA rules are, I don't know what else is. Something that's so decent and humane that in real life you would be thankful forever and potentially name your kid after a professor who was helping you like that if you were in the chemistry department. If the same thing happened and you played football or basketball or baseball and you happened to be good at it but you still had no money, the NCAA could say you're not allowed to play in college athletics anymore. It's a broken system, kids. Take your calls next. We're going to talk to John Morosi at the bottom of the hour. Final hour, we'll talk with our friend John McClain down in Houston. I am Clay Travis trying to make you smarter about how we pay players and whether or not we do the complexities involved. 877-996-6369. If somebody drops off, you can, drop, you can hop on. I am Clay Travis. You're listening to Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios, great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Great conversation and discussion so far. I'm going to take your calls here, but I want to encourage you, if you're listening right now, we're talking about paying college players. I'm trying to elevate the conversation. You can go download the first hour and a half of this show if you're just waking up, starting your day. I think it's going to give you a more intelligent discussion about this issue than anywhere else you'll find in sports media. And we got a million some odd people who have downloaded the podcast here in the recent history of the podcast at Outkick. Uh, also have a, uh, a version now that's shorter than the full show. So if you don't have all day, you can go download it anyway. Just go on iTunes, search Outkick. You can subscribe. You can give us a rating. I would appreciate you guys doing that. I know a lot of you in your car, driving to work, whatnot. You might be able to hear 15, 20 minutes a day. Do you enjoy what you hear? My goal always to make you not want to get out of your car, make you late for work, but a lot of you have to get into work on time. If you want to be able to listen to this in your own time, the podcast is a perfect opportunity. Again, just search OutKick. And if you enjoy spending time with us all day, I do an afternoon show, OutKick the Show, which is live on Periscope and Facebook. And uh, we talk about issues on there as well. And it's usually around 4 o'clock Eastern, sorry, 3 o'clock Eastern, every single day uh, in the afternoon. You can follow me on Twitter at Clay Travis, and you'll see that pop up right around that time. I want to go to your calls, though. Uh, let's go to Jesse in Mississippi. Jesse, what's up? Uh, not much, Clay. Hey, I, first thing I want to do is I want to say thank you for bringing common sense to this issue with college players being played. I played in college. I coached in college. They should not be paid. Like you said, the programs, or excuse me, the schools financially would go bankrupt. First of all, people need to realize these kids are getting a free education. Schools like Notre Dame, that's going to be around $200,000 of education that they get by the time they leave. A majority of these kids get their Pell Grants back to them. Now, some schools structure their scholarships where the kids don't get their Pell Grants so they can spend more scholarships. I coached at the smaller level, Division One, AA, D2, where you don't have uh, 108 full scholarships or however many Division One has. So these kids get their Pell Grant back. I can't remember the number now, but it was around a couple of grand. So these kids aren't necessarily going broke. They can find ways to make it. But I do agree that the program – that they have today is outdated. You've got to allow the kids to get a job if they want to. I mean, that's part of the capitalistic society. Yeah, I appreciate the call, and thanks for the call, Jesse. I think the challenge in general is that 
partly this is to blame on the leagues themselves, right? Because I believe, and this is a straightforward statement, if you are 18 years old, you should be able to make a living doing anything you want in America today, right? If you want to go join the Marine Corps, we're fine with you getting a gun and walking around in Afghanistan or Iraq and getting shot at. And some people are not okay with a kid deciding that he wants to go straight to the NBA. Well, what about his education? Well, you know, he can go back to school one day. Nobody says what about his education when a kid decides to join the Marines or join the Navy, and next thing you know they're getting shot at at 18 years old. At 18, you have the right to make choices. Some people are going to succeed. LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, Tracy McGrady. They all went straight to college. I mean, they didn't go to college. They went straight to the NBA at 18. Some of them succeeded. Some of them didn't. That's life. I'm not in the business of telling you what decisions you should make. At 18 years old, we didn't demand that Taylor Swift go sing in the Vanderbilt Chorus for three years before she could release her first album. We didn't say that Jennifer Lawrence had to go star in Cat in a Hot Tin Roof at the University of Louisville instead of going to go make the Hunger Games. You got talent? Sell it. It's a market-based system. Problem is, NBA makes you go to college for a year. NFL makes you go to college for three years. That's the problem. If I could wave a magic wand and decide right now this is what the future of athletics is going to be, I would say that every university, especially, should have the Major League Baseball system. 18 years old, you can go into the draft, you can figure out exactly what you're worth, but if you go to college, you have to stay for three years. Makes sense, right? Major League Baseball and the college baseball have it right. I think Major League Baseball's entry system makes total sense. 18 years old, you can literally put your name in the draft, you can see who drafts you, you can see which team, you can see what they offer you, and if you choose not to do that, you go play baseball, but you got to stay for three years. And then you can go back into the draft again. I'm going to try to get through these calls really quick, get you all in. Ryan in Cincinnati. Ryan, what's up? Hey, Travis. How you doing, man? My name's Clay, but okay. Yeah. Oh, Clay. Sorry, man. I'm sorry. I'm under the weather right now. But uh, here's my point. I think the idea of um, how to get this, uh, when you say same, is you would have percentages. So if college football makes $500 million. Work. Dollars, doesn't work, Ryan. It was, it's, it's illegal under federal law. For the, the only it's reason illegal. I was saying that. It makes sense, maybe. and I appreciate the call. It makes sense. It doesn't work under federal law. You can't make a decision based on which teams are profitable and which are not. Everybody has to be treated equally when it comes to scholarships under Title IX. So just because the athletic department makes $40 million off football doesn't mean that they get to treat football differently than they treat women's basketball. Makes sense from a markets-based perspective, but we've got college sports communism at play here. Darren in Virginia. Everybody's equal, even when we know they're not all equal. Darren in Virginia, what's up? Yeah, Clay, you just nailed nailed it right there when you said that the NFL and the NBA need to have a farm system like the, like in Major League Baseball. It would help. I mean, right now, it would help. the reason right now they don't have one is they get the free ride. They get to use college as a default, default minor league system. And as a result, they don't have to spend the money on it, so it makes their businesses more profitable. But my argument on this, and I appreciate the call, uh, Darren, is my argument is you should be able to go pro. Now, I will say this. In football, I think you should be able to go pro whenever you want. 
Because I think football, uniquely, you can lose your ability to ever make a living on football in one play. The analogy I always use here is I saw Marcus Lattimore run for 200 yards and carry the ball 40 times for South Carolina in the year that South Carolina won the SEC East and went to Atlanta to play for the title. I believe they played Cam Newton and got boat raced, but that's another example. That, that's another that's another story. When Marcus Lattimore finished that season, he was ready to go pro. He was ready to go pro at 19. Didn't have to do it, but a team would have drafted him probably in the first round. Instead, he came back his sophomore year. He tore up his knee. He came back his junior year. He tore up his knee again. He never made a living as a football player. If you want to talk about morality in college athletics, to me, that is morality. We required a kid to continue to play even though he was already ready to go pro. He didn't have that opportunity. Last call, I'm going to get you in. Jamie in Cincinnati. Jamie, you still there? Good morning. Love the show. Appreciate that. My wife went to college, and she took biology, for instance, and she graduated from college. She didn't get paid for taking her classes and doing everything. But when she got out of college, she got a job. Now she's a school teacher. I don't believe they should be paid as an athlete either for the reason being is you go to get an education. And if you uh, get out and you join the NFL, if you're good enough, then that's when you make your money. Or uh, I, I could have went to college, but I joined the service in lieu of that. But I just don't believe they should get paid for doing something that some of them have free rides to do. Uh I understand that argument. I appreciate the call. But the the difference is, I mean, again, for a lot of people out there, I'm a capitalist. And I think if you're a capitalist, you probably think a little bit like me. At 18 years old, you should be able to sell your labor for as much money as you possibly can, like you can in baseball with the guy that we're going to talk to next, John Morosi. See what he thinks about all of this, because I think he also lives in Ann Arbor, which, by the way, pretty big athletic department up at the University of Michigan. That's coming up next. But first, let's figure out what's trending now. Welcome back. Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by GEICO. Easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with GEICO. Go to GEICO.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. And also want to tell you, with True Car, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for. And on average, save over three grand off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Joined now by John Morosi, as we are every single Thursday in this time slot. And, John, I believe you live in Ann Arbor, and certainly Jim Harbaugh, well-paid, $9 million a year. I was saying that I love the system that Major League Baseball has set up, where at 18, you go into the draft. If you get drafted and you decide you want to sign with a team, you go ahead and do it. And usually, as a part of signing that deal, you get guaranteed college tuition in the event your minor league career never leads to the major leagues. And uh, if you don't sign, you go to college for three years and then come back out after three years. It's the ideal system, don't you think? It is good. Uh, Is it perfect? Maybe not entirely, because I think that it does create some inequities by, for example, if you draft a kid uh, very highly in in the first round, but it turns out he decides that he wants to go to college, uh, that you don't retain his rights. Uh, In that respect, hockey may have an even better system because because they take them at a universal worldwide draft at the same age, and you hold their rights for a period of time even if they go to college. So you're not hurt from a competitive standpoint. But but I do think that your point is very valid, Clay, in that um, in baseball and in hockey – 
you have a menu of choices. Uh, in hockey, you've got either the U.S. college system or the Canadian Hockey League, which includes, of course, the OHL and the Quebec League and uh, the Western League, where you can go and play. Uh, and if you don't, if you're not really an academic person, you don't have to go to class. You don't have to have that be a big part of your uh, your development at that point in time. And again, in baseball, if you want to sign at 18, uh, of course, Bryce Harper signed, I believe he was actually 17, uh, because he had gone to junior college for that one very unique year. Um, so th- there are different ways to do it, and I think baseball system um, is certainly preferable uh, to what the uh, what you see with the NBA and the NFL, because you at least have different options that don't necessarily involve school and do involve you getting uh, paid very well, a signing bonus in excess of one or two million dollars for your for your very first year of pro ball at the age of eighteen. We're talking to John Morosi. Uh, by the way, congrats! You just got assigned to the Western Conference Finals in the NHL as well. You're an expert in two different sports, and as part of that. <laughs> You're going to be coming to my town because the Preds are going to beat, it looks like, the St. Louis Blues, massive favorite to advance to the Western Conference Finals and play who who knows. I'm not sure exactly who will be there, but how much are you excited to come down here and get to see the experience uh, Nashville, Smashville as they call it, and uh, and see what's happening here in the city with a uh, Stanley Cup run? Well, if that's the way it goes, it'll be really exciting, Clay, because I've certainly uh, I've been to games in Nashville before, but it was uh, a few years ago, and uh, it was really interesting for me to read the comments by Peter Laviolette, of course, the Predators coach, about how unique the building atmosphere is now uh, at Bridgestone Arena and that this may be the most intense atmosphere that you would see anywhere in the NHL right now. So I'm, I'm really intrigued to see it, to experience it. And I also think, as, as you've seen firsthand, Clay, that this the brand of hockey the Predators play right now is really entertaining. Uh, it's, it's substantially different than what you saw from this team several years ago. Uh, they have more speed, more excitement. They've got one of the best defensive cores in, in the NHL and maybe even in the world. And when you talk about defense uh, in hockey, you don't often think about exciting defense. But as you know from having watched this team, the, the defensemen are as active in the rush as the forwards are sometimes. Uh, Ryan Ellis has become a star. Uh, Yossi has always been a star. Subban is one of the most electrifying players, I believe, in the league. Uh, Ekholm has been phenomenal playing alongside Subban. So uh, the defensive core of the Predators is very engaged. And then, of course, uh, on the offensive side, Johansson's line has been phenomenal with Arvidsson as well uh, and Forsberg. So I think that it really is an explosive team that uh, right now I think has as good of a chance, Clay, I mean this sincerely, they have as good of a chance to win the Stanley Cup as any other team going right now. We're talking to John Morosi. Okay, let's go ahead and pivot into baseball now. And it's been a massive story with what's going on with the Red Sox and the Orioles. Guys getting ejected, the racial slur, the response to it. Everything that's going on right now between the Red Sox and the Orioles. What in the world happened here? Did the baseball kind of retaliatory culture fall apart? How would you assess the situation between those two teams and what we've seen in the past several days? Well, I I do think, Clay, it's two separate stories. Uh, There there may be a link because of the the general intensity uh, that that you're seeing in the series this week uh, among the fans. Uh, may have brought out the the pure idiocy that we saw earlier this week with with the slurs and the the peanuts being thrown at Adam Jones, which uh, I think is troubling on many many levels. And and I think Adam, first of all, is 
done a phenomenal job of handling it as, as well as anybody could ever handle it. Um, and from that standpoint, from knowing Adam, as I've gotten to know him over the years, um, here's a guy that's done everything right. He, he comes from a military family, Clay. He represented the U.S. at the last two World Baseball Classics with a, a great deal of distinction, um, and he did not deserve to be treated that way, nor does any human being for that matter. So uh, I, I think the way that Adam has handled things is admirable, and um, and I think that, the, frankly, MLB's stance and, and the the, uh, the really – quick response that they made I think was 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 positive but I think there are certainly many layers of this that have to be addressed not just at Fenway Park or Boston but I think all around the country in terms of just how we treat each other but aside from that I think on the field um, you're right there, there's been I think a very prolonged um, notion of, of payback that the Red Sox have tried to level against Manny Machado, uh, which I, I don't really think is warranted either. Uh, I think that's obviously not even the same the same situation at all as, as Adam Jones, but uh, Machado was thrown at multiple times now by three different Boston pitchers, um, and I think that that is uh, excessive, and in fact, MLB uh, made an effort, and Rob Manfred, according to reports yesterday, convened a conference call, uh, or at least separate phone calls, uh, with John Farrell and Buck Showalls, the respective managers, to try to get things to calm down. And of course, what happened last night was uh, Kevin Gosman um, uh, throws a pitch that, that hits a Red Sox player and is a breaking ball, hits Xander Bogarts with a breaking ball, which clearly, Clay, in, in, in baseball circles, if you're trying to hit someone, you never do it with a breaking ball. It's, it doesn't, it, you can't control it as well. Um, it, it, frankly, it would not hurt as much. It's not, that's not what you're trying to do there, clearly. And still, Gosman was ejected, which really was a pivotal play in the Orioles losing that game. So, uh, in a very heated uh, American League East race, I, I think it's unfortunate that there have been so many things that are outside of normal baseball uh, that have occurred this week at Fenway. As heated as this situation is now, and as many times as you play division rivals in baseball, how does the temperature on this situation get dialed back? Or is this something that even though it's May, we see flare up again in June, July, August, September? I mean, how does this story come to a close? That's a great question, Clay. And I think it's going to be an intense series all season long. Uh, I look at it, too, as... as you're exactly right about the number of times you play within division. I actually think that there's a, a chance, at least at least from the standpoint of intensity, purpose pitches, that this could get worse. It could escalate from a standpoint of uh, uh, if, if Mookie Betts is hit by a pitch at some point in time. Where does it end? Because inevitably in every series, usually someone's going to get hit by a pitch. That's just someone's trying to pitch inside. You're at Fenway Park. It's it's, it's a tough place to pitch, so you're trying to get an advantage any way you can, so you have to pitch inside uh, if, if you're that type of pitcher just to establish your game. So w- when you have warnings or, or the appearance of warnings, or because clearly if, if there was an ejection for a breaking ball early in the game yesterday, everybody was on edge, uh, it affects the way that the games are played and the way the pitchers approach their craft, which is a fundamental notion of the way that baseball is played so you've got a couple managers and certainly buck showalter is always looking for an advantage um always looking for whatever nuance he can exploit to win a baseball game so we're going to see i believe as time goes on um it would not surprise me clay if 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 it may not be this this time 
maybe they go back to Baltimore, and maybe that's when the Orioles decide to hit Mookie Betts or, or decide uh, to hit Xander Bogarts on, per, on purpose. So this, to me, it's two teams that are in this race, Clay. They're going to be in it, I believe, all year long. Um, it's, it's two managers that are very competitive and two teams that are very competitive, two fan bases that are very competitive. So right now, the, the irony is you may say, Clay, that the Orioles and Red Sox are a more heated rivalry in the moment right now than the Red Sox and the Yankees. Last question for you. How do you stop guys from throwing intentionally at other guys? I understand it's an unwritten rule of baseball. I understand that it's a part of the game, and it has been a part of the game for a long time. But to me, this is insanity, right? Letting somebody intentionally throw over 90 miles an hour at a batter is, to me, totally bonkers. I don't understand how it continues to happen. If you suspended pitchers for 30 games, 40 games for this and said, because what, what, the reason why I'm saying it is at some point in time, somebody's going to get beamed in the head. It's going to be a serious injury and maybe there's criminal involvement. Like to me, if, if you're throwing the ball near somebody's head at 90 miles an hour intentionally, like that's a crime. You should be charged, prosecuted, right? Like you're trying to injure them. How do you stop this from happening? Well, it's a, it's a great question, Clay, and it's one that I think baseball is, is really debating right now how to handle it. Um, you're right that, that you could suspend someone for 30 or 40 games, um, and that would certainly change the way that, that this sort of intra-clubhouse, very sort of insular discipline is handled. I'm talking about the, the, the code, the way that it's enforced among players. But you also have a situation like like when Machado was hit, or actually when his, when his bat was hit in Baltimore by Matt Barnes, for example. Barnes was trying to hit him, Clay. He was trying to hit him. There's no question about it. But he was trying to hit him low. He was trying to hit him like behind, like either on the hindquarters or low hip, uh, somewhere in that area, and he missed. So, do you want to suspend someone for for thirty or forty games? for effectively missing the location of where he wanted to hit the player. That's, that's, do, I, do I love that part of baseball? No, I don't. Do I recognize that it's been part of the game for a really long time? It has. Um, and uh, I, I think that to totally eliminate it, I think, would be, would be a, a big challenge. Uh, and, and maybe there would be, on a certain level, some pushback from the players about this. I will say this. What, what we, the way we have seen Joe Torre meet out the discipline as baseball's chief baseball officer is that if you, if you try to hit someone once and you're successful and you do it low, you're probably not going to be suspended. But if you do it high or excessively, in other words, you're, you're basically turning Manny Machado, who was one of the best players in the game, into target practice, which is what's happened over the last couple of weeks, uh, that's excessive and that's not acceptable. And so, so I think that's that's if you if you're throwing multiple times at a guy, that's not okay. And also, we're seeing guys <laughs> try to hit players and they miss three times in the same at bat. Which, if you talk to catchers, as I did yesterday at the ballpark in Detroit, that's really you take one shot and if you miss them, that's on you. And then that, that's where it should stop. And so I think that we're, we're going to see baseball maybe be a bit more stringent, Clay, in the way they discipline players. But to try to take this totally out of the game, as much as you and I might say that's the rational thing to do, I just don't expect that's going to be what actually happens. Great stuff as always. We'll talk to him next week. That's John Morosi. I'm Clay Travis. You're listening to Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Time for the Geico play of the day. LeBron James inched closer to history when he passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, or second only anyway, second all-time in playoff scoring. I believe that's correct, right? He passed Kareem. 
Um, and here is the audio of that momentous occasion. Here's LeBron James, who has 24 points in his back pocket, looking for 27. He's got it. LeBron with a triple from the left wing side. He's now four of five from distance, and he now has moved into second place all time on the NBA playoff scoring list, passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, huh? That's a hell of a call. That from the Cav Radio Network. 39 for LeBron last night. He's now second all-time in playoff scoring. Cavs have put away the Raptors. It's a two-game, nothing. No point in sticking around for this series at all. That's your Geico play of the day. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico 15 minutes ago. Final hour of the show coming up next. We'll talk to John McClain down in Houston about the NFL Rookie of the Year odds. They're out now on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back. Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote as well. Duralast batteries proven tough, designed to stand up to even the most extreme weather conditions with patented technology to deliver the most power during startup, get in the zone, auto zone. We're always in the zone here. I am Clay Travis. I'd encourage you to go download the podcast, listen to the first couple of hours if you are just starting your day. We've actually had a really good discussion about paying players in the wake of Nick Saban making $11 million a year. Most discussions you're going to hear are only going to to focus on should you or should you not pay players. We had a really good discussion about it. It's something that I think continues to evolve. If you go listen to the first two hours of this show and that discussion, I think you'll be smarter than 99% of people who talk about this issue. It's one that I think... Most people never actually analyze the complexities of. I'd encourage you to go back and check that out again. A million of you have downloaded the podcast, growing audience pretty quickly, and um, appreciate that. I'm going to open up the phone lines again, uh, 877-996-6369. NBA news. I don't know about you guys, but unless this Rockets and Spurs series ends up good, I'm feeling like I may have to fulfill my promise from earlier this year when I said, look, if the Cavs dominated the Eastern Conference, and so far they're halfway to perfection, right? They're 6-0. and If they win their next six games undefeated, they will go 4-4-4. And I will have to follow through on my comment, which is I'm never going to talk about the NBA regular season again. I'm just not going to do it. doesn't matter. Cavs basically said, you know what? We don't care about having home court. Then they've gone out and they've won six straight games. The entire 82-game regular season doesn't really matter. If I were LeBron James, I'd call in and say, hey, I'm out for October, November, and December. I'll see you guys at the beginning of the year. I'm trying to win a championship here. Playing in October, November, and December makes no sense. We'll be rounding into shape by April. Come May, we'll be good. I've been to, he's probably looks like going to go to his seventh straight finals. I think they're going to lose to the Warriors there. But what's the purpose of the regular season at all? I don't see one. I could be wrong. You see one, Jason Martin? What what have we, what have we gained from the NBA regular season so far? Well, we haven't gained much except storylines, and I think that that's that's the what one thing. What storyline have we actually gained? Well, I'm I'm just suggesting that the way that people have talked about the NBA has been much less about the wins, the losses, and what's been happening on the floor than the personalities off it in terms of content gained by talking about LeBron James and what he's done off the floor. Yeah, I mean, I think he's been story. an idiot. 
I think he's been an idiot this year. I think complaining about the use of the word posse, I think getting all triggered about what LeBron, I mean, what Charles Barkley said about him, I think wearing a big safety pin after Hillary Clinton lost the election. I mean, I think he seemed like a big pussy willow all season, let's be honest. It's made yeah. me like LeBron James as a person less. As a player, look, he's the best player in the world, and he has been for a decade. So I don't see that changing, and I certainly don't see the Eastern Conference rising up and having a legitimate contender. Now, maybe I'm wrong. I would love to be wrong and see the Celtics take the Cavs to seven games and have LeBron and the Cavs have to answer for the fact that they basically thumbed their nose at the idea of competing for the Eastern Conference title. But I don't think the Raptors are going to give them any run. There's no game. There's no series here. So they're into the Eastern Conference Finals barely having broken a sweat. And yeah. I don't know, when is the when is the NBA Finals? Like, what are the dates? Do we know the start date for the NBA Finals? I mean, it's over a month from now, I think. I don't think yeah, they start till June. And so we've got a full month of just killing time, I feel like, on some level. Maybe the Warriors are going to end up getting upset by somebody, but it's certainly not going to be the Jazz. And I don't think the Spurs or the Rockets are going to be able to actually beat the Warriors. I like to think the Celtics can give the Cavs an actual run when the playoffs come around if they get to the Eastern Conference Finals and they have home court. Based on what we're seeing so far, I don't necessarily know that's the case. Well, my and point so we've got a full month to just sit around and wait for the series that everybody's been predicting since the moment Kevin Durant made the decision to go join the Warriors. Like, what's the? It's it's like the worst season ever. Well, my my point about the the off the court stuff was basically an indictment of the regular season because that's been the story. There hasn't been anything on the floor because there hasn't been all that much drama on the floor. And then you get to the postseason and the cream rises to the top. We saw this even with the Lakers. You ask the guys out in L.A., the Lakers, the last year, Kobe and Powell, the year that they won the championship, they were always accused of just kind of, you know, jaking it from time to time. But they would get into the postseason and do what they had to do. North Carolina basketball a couple of years ago, same story where they didn't really always play up to their potential, but then they ended up winning the national championship that year. That can be frustrating. So I think that it's an indictment on the regular season that we've spent almost the entire time. We've talked about the NBA on this program since its inception, talking about nothing to do with what's actually happening on the floor and everything to do with the personalities off it because – there are no stories on the floor, so there's not really any reason to be watching these games. As much as I love the NBA, I watch much less of the regular season this year than at any point in the last decade. No question about that. Probably by a large margin. Unless you're a fan of one of these teams, why would you watch the NBA playoffs right now? I mean that honestly. Like, If you are a fan of one of these teams, I get it. If you're a Spurs fan, if you're a Rockets fan, if you're a Jazz fan, if you're a Warriors fan... If you're a Cavs fan, if you, you know, if you're a fan of one of the eight teams that's still out here playing right now, I totally get why you would watch the series and be emotionally invested in it. But if you're a casual NBA fan, and it's it's like watching a movie when you. And by the way, happy May the Fourth. Uh, May the Fourth be with you uh, to uh, to everyone out there uh, who are Star Wars fans. But it's like watching a movie when you already know that it doesn't matter except for the very end. Right? Like, why would I, I... Gambling may be the answer. Like, we've been doing pretty well with our gambling picks. Maybe gambling is the answer. Maybe you're just like, screw it. I just want to gamble and try to make some money on that. I respect that. That certainly makes sense. But if you're just watching this series 
because you're like, oh, well, maybe this Rockets team is going to win a title. No, they're not. Neither are the Spurs. Neither are the Jazz. The Warriors are going to win the Western Conference, and I think the Warriors are going to win the title. But at least if you're a Cavs fan, you can be like, okay, no, I think the Cavs are. But for the rest of us out there, like, why do we care? What benefit is there whatsoever to this entire NBA postseason? And again, this is the indictment I've had for the NBA for a long time. The regular season doesn't matter. And then the postseason doesn't matter in terms of the teams that can actually win a championship. Look at what's happening in the NHL. Nashville Predators right now are the favorite to win the Stanley Cup. Now that's because they're up 3-1 on the St. Louis Blues, but the Preds have come out and gone 7-1 and in the NHL playoffs. They were the eighth seed in the Western Conference. Nobody predicted this was going to happen. The NHL, anything can happen in the playoffs. That's must-watch. If you are a hockey fan, that's must-watch tele- must television. Same thing is certainly true in the NFL. Anything can happen. Any team that gets in the playoffs, if you have a decent quarterback, you get hot at the right, te- right time, you can win a Super Bowl. Major League Baseball, you make the playoffs. Your pitching gets hot at the right time. Anybody can win one of those series. All of those playoffs, I can see the argument of why you need to pay attention because anything can happen. The NBA is not that way. You might like basketball, but if your goal is like who's going to win, we know it's going to be the Warriors or the Cavs. And according to Vegas, it's not just going to be the Warriors or the Cavs. The Warriors are a prohibitive favorite to win this league. It just I, I just think it kills the conversation in a really bad way. We got a month, basically, to sit around and wait until the Cavs and the Warriors play in the NBA Finals. That's not good for the NBA. Especially not coming off of the entire season where we said the regular season doesn't matter either. Biggest storyline of the NBA this year was guys deciding not to play in the regular season because the games didn't matter. And now the playoff games aren't even mattering because there's only about two good teams in the league. Tyrone and Birmingham still there? Yep. I'm here. What's up, my man? Hey, Clay, two things before I get to my point. Uh, Add your phone number to your Twitter description, and you're sleeping on YouTube Live, in my opinion. But... I think what you're not considering is that some added benefits as a college athlete, especially as a football player and a basketball player. You get to hit, you, you get to uh, bang the hottest chicks on campus. <laughs> also, also, and that that's just to make you laugh. But on a serious note, don't you agree that if you play football uh, or basketball, even if you're the backup long snapper? Whenever you graduate, and sometimes you don't even have to graduate, you have more of an advantage over the normal college student just dealing with high-end boosters that the normal college student won't ever deal with. Because right now, I'll ask you this, if the, the backup loan snapper from Tennessee contact you and say, I want to do an internship, you, you're gonna, you'll give it a look more so than just some random uh, student that contacts you. Am I wrong or right? You're right, and I think that's a huge aspect to going to college if you're a smart, strategic athlete, 100%. You make those connections, you get the opportunity to know people with money, and guess what? Everybody's going to end up working at some point in time for the people with the money, and eventually you want to be the guy who's got the money, right? You don't want to have to be the guy who's just working for the guy with money. You want to make it yourself. I mean, I I think that's 100% right. It's a good call. 
It's a great call. And that's why I would say we've got a lot of college kids uh, listening to the show. We also got a lot of high school kids going into school in the morning. You know, they got the show turned on. It's a smart decision when you decide where you want to go to college. If you know what part of the country you want to live in, go to college there. I've been saying this for a long time. I did it with law school. Uh, I went to law school at Vanderbilt. I don't practice law full-time anymore. But because I thought, you know what, I want to live in Nashville, where I live now. But I applied all over the country. And by the way, I would have gone to Stanford if they had let me in. That was my top choice. The Stanford you know, acceptance rate for law school is like 2% now. It's almost impossible to get in there. I think Stanford is the best university in the country. I think that Vanderbilt is probably the best university in the South in terms of just awesome experience, great people. Uh, I haven't spent a lot of time at Northwestern, but my wife's from the Midwest. She says that Northwestern is that for the Midwest. You want to go to a school, you know, there are relatively few of them. I think Vanderbilt, Northwestern, and Stanford, probably the three best schools, in my opinion, in the country when it comes to being top institutions and also being really good at athletics at the time, or at least being in the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the SEC, three of the big major universities in the country. But I think that makes total sense. You go to the place where you think you might want to live and make those connections, and even if you don't become a professional player, then you get hooked up. And by the way, Tyrone was right. Those athletes do pretty well with the ladies. I'd rather be an SEC quarterback off the field than I would be an SEC quarterback on the field. There are so many good looking. I think women are getting better looking. I had a discussion about that in the mailbag a while back. I don't know about you, but there have nev- there's never been a time in the history of the world when there were more better looking women. Women are in so much better shape now. My wife has got three kids. And she's in impeccable shape. She's in better shape now than when she was when we met when she was 23 years old. Unbelievable. Women have extended their range. It's like uh, it's like uh, Tom Brady. He's going to play till he's 40. There's a lot of good-looking women in their 40s now. How about you? When I was a kid growing up, I don't remember there being a lot of good-looking women in their 40s. They're out there on the squat rack. Asses have never been better in this country. A lot of people out there complaining about the state of the world, state of the country, Everything's awful. I want to tell you this right now. I don't care what race you are. I don't care what ethnicity you are. I don't care what religion you are. We should all be united in this. The state of women's asses in this country, never been better. Never been better. We're at the absolute apex of the ass in this country right now. Women have never looked better. God bless America. I'm Clay Travis. This is Outgate the Coverage. I'll tell you who's most likely to win the NFL Rookie of the Year, when we come back, according to our friends at Odd Shark, this is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios, what does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to geico.com 15 minutes ago. I've been teasing this for a while, so I want to hit it for you. The 2017 NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year numbers, and then I'll go take your calls. By the way, John McClain Bottom of this hour, Houston Chronicle writer's been covering the NFL for a long time. We'll see who he likes in this mix. Leonard Fournette, Jacksonville Jaguars, took him, I believe, at number four overall, is the favorite to win the NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year, according to Odd Shark. He's at plus 350. Christian McCaffrey, Carolina Panthers, took him at eight overall. He's at plus 500, five to one. The guy I like, Deshaun Watson, Houston Texans, took him at 12. He's at six to one to win the Rookie of the Year. And then you get into some interesting mixes. Corey Davis, 
who was the number one overall receiver taken by the Tennessee Titans at fifth, is at plus 800, 8-1 to to win. Cook, Dalvin Cook, who went in the second round. Who took Dalvin Cook? Do you guys remember? The Vikings. Vikings. All right. Well, uh, obviously you've had a lot of success with a long-term running back up there. Dalvin Cook, second-round pick at 8-1. to Mike Williams was taken by who? Who Mike Williams get taken by? Chargers. The Chargers trying to revitalize things for Philip Rivers. He is at twelve to one. Um, you've got uh, Joe Mixon, who was drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals at twelve to one. Deshaun Kaiser at twelve to one. Mitch Trubisky at fourteen to one, and Jamal Williams, I believe. I am correct in this. The only defensive player on this list, or sorry, these are offensive rookie of the year uh, rankings. Uh, Williams is at twelve to one as well. So those are those numbers. Uh, the from Odd Shark again. You can go gamble on those. Uh, let's take the calls. I like right now, like I said, Deshaun Watson at six to one to be the most likely to win the rookie of the year. Let's go to Chris in Houston. Chris, what's up? Hey Clay, how you doing, man? Excellent. Hey, well, listen, I listened to your Outkick the Show podcast yesterday uh, evening, and I, I tell you, you've raised some interesting points on Title IX and how football, how it may not even be considered a male sport because a female athlete can possibly participate. But anyways, I, all your viewers out there that are listening, I highly recommend go listen to your Outkick the Show podcast from yesterday. It was very interesting. But I want to raise a different perspective on players getting paid in college sports today and this is coming from a former Division One athlete. I played from 05 to 09 in the Sun Belt Conference out of Louisiana Lafayette. And my whole analysis on this is absolutely not. We should not get paid for college football. And we did a study, my uh, teammates and I, one year, because it, around 2009, right before we graduated, this is when it was started to really start to circulate as far as in the news media on whether or not players should be getting paid. So we decided one day, okay, let's sit down, let's compute all this. Let's figure this out and see if this makes any sense. So we computed, one, tuition, room and board, meal plan. And not to mention with meal plan, we're given uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. But also, we, the cafeteria is open for all student athletes to come in at any time in between uh, breakfast and lunch and uh, and dinner. Any time you want throughout the day to, uh, to to nourish your body. So we computed all that. Not to mention on in the fall when we're playing, we're totally treated on because we're, we're traveling on the road, so we're fed. We're given you know we're given hospitality in the hotel rooms. So we come out uh, with with a number of around thirty five to forty thousand dollars per year that we're just given just strictly off of benefits. And that, not to mention that, hey, you know, we're, we're big men on campus, so so we don't need to be paid. We're we're we're, we're totally pampered as it is with you know with all these uh, you know with all these benefits that we're given. And I I just think it's just such it's so ridiculous. You know, you hear all these news media uh, outlets, these people that sit at a desk and they don't even realize. You know, you know, these guys never actually played a sport before, but. Man, it's just so unnecessary, and they try to raise the point. What about the Vince Youngs and the Reggie Bushes that that generate so much revenue to the school? I'm thinking, okay, well, that makes sense. They do, but you know, they do get paid. It's called the NFL draft, and when they get drafted, they get paid about an eight million dollar signing bonus, not to mention their four to five year contract that goes with it. So that's just my whole perspective on that, and I just uh, want to just hear your take on it. Appreciate the call. 
Uh, Chris raises an interesting point. I would love to see this challenged in a legal setting. Football is considered a men's sport. But women aren't prohibited from playing football. They're just not good enough to play. Think about that. It's There's no female football. Football, the 85 scholarships that are open for football every year, are theoretically open to women too. They're just not good enough to make the team. I'd love to see that legal argument. Right? I mean, there's no specific rule that mandates that only men can play football. In theory, every woman on earth can also compete for the 85 scholarships that go to football players. They just aren't good enough to make the team. If they were, they'd get a scholarship. If there were a woman who could play quarterback as well as Aaron Rodgers, do you think Nick Saban wouldn't offer her? I think she would. I think he would. Dan in Memphis. What's up, Dan? Hey, Clay. just want to say, first off, I really appreciate you uh, having this uh, this topic, man. I think it also does fit into kind of the how ESPN tries to infiltrate us with certain narratives. And everybody kind of like lemmings off a cliff, man, just kind of like, oh, I guess student-athletes should get paid. One thing that I think people like myself who've been counter-arguing, you know, arguing against that, uh, one thing that gets thrown in our face constantly is, what about the millions and billions of dollars that the NCAA gets from the NCAA tournament every year? What about the millions and billions of dollars that the Coxes get from their football championship games? I, I already think I know the answer to this, but I think it's a perspective – that you could kind of provide the counter to that. Yeah, I mean, that, that, I appreciate the call. I, that's what I said. I mean, look, I said the number one thing that does not get talked about when you debate whether or not players should get paid is the fact that under Title IX, every single scholarship athlete has to get the exact same treatment. So if you think that a football player deserves $40,000 extra a year or a men's basketball player deserves $40,000 extra a year, then also... Every other scholarship athlete has to get that. So that would mean that a women's basketball player, in addition to her scholarship and room and board, would get $40,000 a year more to play women's basketball. There's no way, and again, this is the, the simple financial reality of this, there is no way that most athletic departments in the country could afford to pay 300 on average, something like 300 scholarship athletes going to a school 150 male and 150 female, something like that, $40,000 a year. Just wouldn't work out. I'm just using 40 because it's easy math, right? 100 at 40,000, I believe, is 4 million. So you're talking about $12 million extra a year in scholarship costs. Most athletic departments aren't making money now. Many are taking money from student fees already to justify their athletic departments. Almost all of them would go underwater. That's the simple truth. Joel in Austin. What's up, Joel? As usual. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever brought this up before in previous uh, conversations when we brought this up, but I don't understand why the NFL would not consider allowing teams to draft straight out of high school and, and kind of simulate the MLB, whereas if they decide to go to school, great. They retain the rights like hockey. However, if they do decide to sign – they are only allowed to play in the practice squad for the first two or possibly three years. Yeah, That's it's a fascinating it, question. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I mean, can you imagine how much interest there would be in a high school football draft? 
one, it would have to be huge, right? Because you just don't know who the players are going to be and whether they're going to be good or not. My argument in general has been that I love what Major League Baseball does, that when you're 18, you can go into the draft, you can see what your value is, and you can make a decision about whether or not you want to sign with that team or go to baseball in, in college. If you decide to sign with the team, that's fine. The team agrees to play for you, pay for your education for the rest of that term of your contract, even if you later don't end up doing it. You know who did that? Joel Klatt, lead college football analyst for Fox Sports. Signed at eight, as an 18-year-old minor league baseball contract. Realizes a few after a few years, you know what? I'm not going to be a major league baseball player. Goes back to college at Colorado. They don't have to give him a scholarship because his school is being paid for. And that's uh, that's how he ends up doing it. I want to get one more guy in, Kevin in Indianapolis. Kevin, what's up? Hey, Clay. I wanted to see switch up the topic a little bit back to the uh... – the uh, the NBA and and you know kind of the the, dead, the death of the regular season. If if my my theory is that if the sports rights bubble continues to burst, which it obviously is, the NBA being the most outrageously paid athletes, if at some point in time they then have to drop the salary cap on teams, which kind of redistributes your superstars, kind of the way it was back in the day, where you know your team would have one superstar, a couple Joe Schmoes, and you know, the, the, the weakest link, and then they have to try to compete for an NBA championship there. So I just wanted to see what you thought the possibility of that might be. I think that athletes have gotten used to the idea that they're only going to make more money than they have before. I think it's very possible with the sports rights bubble collapsing, unless Amazon, Google, uh, you know, the, the, the apples of the world decide that they're going to spend a lot of money, and maybe they will, for sports rights, ESPN is going to have to start dropping out of a lot of bidding. They're going to lose Monday Night Football, in my opinion. I don't think they're going to be able to afford to spend the money that they're spending now because their business is collapsing. If that happens, then eventually it will go all the way to the owners and the players, and you could end up with a situation where, for instance, the NBA, players in 2025 are not making more money than they are in, you know, right now. Now, I don't know when the new NBA television deal ends expire, so it might be 2035. You might have a year where from 2025 to 2035, nobody makes more money. You know, you basically stick the same because there's not a growth industry there anymore. I think it's very possible. Let's go to trending right now and find out what's going on in the world larger than us. Welcome back. Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by GEICO. Easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with GEICO. Go to GEICO.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier and with True Car, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for, and on average, save over three grand off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. We bring in now John McClain. He's at the Houston Chronicle, and he has been covering the NFL for a long time. John, how much enthusiasm is there in Houston over the drafting of Deshaun Watson? First of all, Clay, I wanted to congratulate you because I've been reading it for the last few years about your predictions about ESPN and what was coming to the network. And uh, because you were a lawyer, you always break it down in terms that people like me can understand. And I feel terrible for what happened to the ESPN people, but I don't remember anybody reporting on it extensively as you did. So uh, congratulations on that. And uh, people here are really excited, as you can imagine. They watched Sean Watson the last two years against Alabama in the title game. And by now they know every possible thing they can based on the extensive stories that have been done on him, especially in the Houston Chronicle and on our website. And uh, so 
They have, it's the first time that Texans have drafted a quarterback in the first three rounds since 2003, their second draft. So they wonder why they have problems at that position. Now you know. But because of that drought, people are pumped. People are really pumped, and thanks for that feedback on ESPN. It's it's a fascinating story, I think, in uh, in sports business that is going to continue to play out over the years ahead. Is it fair to expect or hope that Deshaun Watson could have a Dak Prescott-like rookie year for the Texans? Uh, he's not going to play anytime soon. Uh, they're you know they're coming off a nine and seven record division title, trying to win the division. All the other division teams improved a lot in free agency in the draft and so the plan is to have him start off number three as the plan was for Dak Prescott but when Kellen Moore went down in the preseason and Tony Romo in the second game then they played him and he had though the best offensive line in the NFL and best running back in the NFL here they have a good running game and they have an offensive line that needs a lot of work so I don't think we'll see him anytime soon unless it's a Prescott situation. And the first two, Tom Savage and Brandon Whitten get hurt or play really bad. So you think Tom Savage takes the field for the Houston Texans as a starter in week one? Absolutely, no question, unless he gets hurt. And he's been hurt in each of his first three seasons, even though he started twice and doesn't have a touchdown pass. But he's watched, he's learned, he's paid his dues, he knows the system inside out, he can handle the tough love coaching of Bill O'Brien. Teammates respect him. Everybody believes he deserves this opportunity in the last year of his contract. So if he plays well and they win, he can get paid here. He can get paid somewhere else. He can get paid here and be traded. But Watson, I did a column with Warren Moon on Saturday, on, on Monday, because uh, he knows Watson and he gave him the Davy O'Brien Award at uh, the College Football Awards Banquet. And he's kind of mentoring him, and he talked about the transition from the offense of Clemson to here, footwork, accuracy, things like that. He thinks it's a great spot because he's got a good defense, a good running game improved by third-round pick Deontay Foreman, and then uh, he's not going to be rushed. But, as you know, he's going to be the most popular guy on the roster next to J.J. Watt, and people in the media are going to clamor for him. You mentioned that the rest of the division got a lot better, whether it's the Colts, the Titans, uh, or the Jaguars. Do you think right now that Vegas has it right with the Titans as the favorite to win the AFC South? Or, since they haven't done it yet, is that too much to put that mantle on them coming into this season? Clay, considering how many teams uh, get in the playoffs every year that weren't in the year before, I don't think that's out of line at all. You know, the key for the Titans will be keeping Marcus Mariota healthy for a full season, which hadn't happened in his first two. John Robinson's done a tremendous job there. He's got two number one picks who helped take care of two of their biggest needs. That doesn't even count Dory Jackson, the corner, uh, being a great return guy and will help fill positions. So I thought last year the Titans beat the Texans in Nashville in the last game because the Texans didn't mean anything, and they rested a lot of players. So they're 9-7. Tremendous turnaround in Robinson and Mike Malarkey's first season. So I think they're going to be the sexy pick to win the division. And even though the Texans have won the last two and four of the last six, I think it's a smart pick. When you look at the draft overall, 
which teams stood out to you and you thought, my God, this team really made a strong play, uh, or this other team? Like, who stood out to you as teams that were drastically improved at the end of the draft, or did anyone? Well, they did. I gave an A-plus to Cleveland, three number one picks, all could start. Uh, resisted a quarterback, going to wait till next year, going to go with Cody Kessler. I don't think Brock Osweiler is in the plans, although maybe – the more time he spends up there, they'll decide to keep him because I don't see a team trading him and taking on part of that $16 million guarantee. So uh, I thought they did tremendously. They made the smart pick with Miles Garrett. I never thought they were going to draft Trubisky like a lot of people started to say. I gave San Francisco an A. I thought Buffalo did really well. And then they fired the general manager and the coaching staff. Another one that the Redskins did a terrific job, and uh, so I think I think I gave one A plus one A and like four A minuses. If you had to predict right now, and I know it's early May, is there anybody in the AFC that has done enough to be able to contend with the Patriots at all? No, <laughs> unless somebody, unless somebody has a great year and gets home advantage. The Patriots have to have home field advantage so they can play those January games at Gillette Stadium. They proved the year before when they had to go to Denver. No, they need to play at home. But considering the improvement they made in free agency and they and the and trades they made, I think that the Patriots are clearly the best team in both divisions and will be a heavy Super Bowl favorite as they should be. Were you bothered at all? We're talking to John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. John, were you bothered at all by the Cincinnati Bengals taking Joe Mixon at number 48 overall in the second round? Was that too soon? Was that the right number? Do you believe that that was okay for redemption value, or did that trouble you in any way? It troubled me. It troubled me that you see guys that have abused women get drafted, but if you kneel for the national anthem, you're still looking for work. Something just doesn't seem right there. And I think this, it didn't matter if you picked him in the second or the seventh round, you're going to receive the same criticism. And I don't think the backlash was nearly as as loud as I thought it would be because I think people had heard so much about him. They'd seen the tape so many times. You just It's not fair. And I thought more attention should be given to the woman who was the victim, but I don't think it mattered if the Bengals took him in the second or the seventh. And, you know, first time he carries and has a good run, the Bengals fans will cheer him like crazy, and hopefully Mixon never has a problem, becomes a role model, and uh, proves that second chances that he took advantage of his second chance. John, appreciate the time. Appreciate you waking up early with us down in Houston. Keep up the good work. You can follow John McClain at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. That is John McClain. Many thanks to him, as always. I am Clay Travis. Final segment of the show coming up next here on Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios, final segment of the show. Hope your Thursday has gone fantastic. We'll be back with you tomorrow, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern. I want to encourage all of you, go check out the show on podcast. We now have a shortened version, 50 minutes, as opposed to the full three-hour show. You can go get the best of as well. And want to say, man, I got to give props. I don't know if you saw the data that came out for Fox Sports Radio. Colin Cowherd's podcast downloads are otherworldly. I don't know if he'll be able to brag about himself on his show. I hate to brag, but I'll brag on other people too. This guy, I mean, he had like six million downloads. We're gonna do a yeah. 
we're going to do a million or so this this month, and that's a big number for us. But his dominance there is extraordinary. So props to Cowherd, who will be on in a few hours on many of these same stations that you're listening to me on as well, and certainly you'll be on Sirius XM Channel 83. want to give a shout-out to those guys. But it's time for the moment that all of you have been waiting for. Tebow Watch. The son of God, Tim Tebow, playing for the Columbia Fireflies in South Carolina, is attempting his most amazing exploit so far. He's won the Heisman Trophy, but he has not advanced yet beyond single-A baseball. Jason Martin, give us our Tebow Watch update. Clay, remember the last time we talked Tebow here on OutKick? It was coming after a rough four-game stretch for the Columbia Fireflies. They went 1-3 and three on the road in North Carolina against the Hickory Crawdads. Tebow didn't play particularly well either in that four-game stretch. Two for 11 in the three games he played in that series. So on Tuesday and Wednesday, back at home in Columbia against the Delmarva Shorebirds. Tuesday night, Fireflies win. Tebow in left field, batting in seventh. Didn't get a hit, but he walked twice and scored a run. And Clay, that run was in the bottom of the ninth. So Tebow touched home plate, and it was ordained. Fireflies win, and God then looked down on his work, and he saw that it was good. Last night, all Delmarva. They win it 10-3. Tebow, the DH, one for four with a single, struck out twice. No walks, so not a good night. So overall, Columbia set to finish off with Delmarva tonight. Tim Tebow. 232 average, still no RBIs since April the 16th. Tied for sixth on the team in batting average of guys playing regularly. No Firefly, though, has an average above 268. For the month of May, which is merely four days old, Tebow hitting 167. So after a really good week, he's reverted back to his own mean. So coming up this weekend, Tim Tebow and the Fireflies will welcome the Lakewood Blue Claws from up at Lakewood Township in New Jersey for a four-game weekend tilt. Lakewood in second in the Northern Division, and they're on a four-game win streak. Tebow, who usually plays better at home, struggling. They're about to go for seven on the road, so he really needs to play well against Delmarva to win that series tonight and then get as much as he can out of the weekend. So we'll see how Timothy Richard does as the season continues. Wow. Solid performance there from the son of God, Tim Tebow. Even better performance by Jason Martin there in the Columbia market, which we added on Monday. Columbia, South Carolina, and Greenville, South Carolina. Welcome into the OutKick family. They have to be ecstatic. The Fireflies driving into work today. They're like, my God, we got a lot of national pub. Well, that's what happens with Tebow Watch. Until Tebow leaves single A, Columbia Fireflies were all over you. Uh, let me go around the horn. We I ran through that list of the Odd Shark most likely NFL offensive rookie of the years, and I was blown away by one of these names. I'm like, I, I couldn't even immediately place it. How good of a draft did the San Francisco 49ers have? Joe Williams, who was their fourth-round pick, is one of the top eight guys most likely to win the rookie of the year. That doesn't even consider what they did in the first round. I was like, Jay Williams. I mean, I'm like, I'm, Jason Williams? I mean, like, I, I couldn't even run through it. Again, Fournette most likely, McCaffrey, Watson, Davis, Cook, Williams, Jay Williams, Mixon, Kaiser, and Trubisky. That is the 10 most likely guys, all 14 to 1 or under, to win the rookie of the year, according to Odd Shark. We'll be back tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. Encourage you to stick to all these Fox Sports radio stations. My thanks to 
Justin Martin, Jason Martin, Jesus Christ, Jason Martin, Justin Cooper. Oh, we fell apart at the end there. Oh, everything went all the hell. I'm Clay Travis. See you tomorrow. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.